Hi, everyone. This is part two of our story about Hector Monsiger. If you haven't listened to part one yet, go back and listen to it first. I sat there uh, playing with the kids, and every day I would take them to church. And, uh, you know, I started seeing Con Edison trucks parked out in front of my building, uh, people hiding in vans with paperwork, peeking at me. We don't know what Poopy's doing, but, you know, something's not right. But nobody could tell me specifically what it was. These little girls, I cannot allow them to go into foster care. And they said, okay, well, you admitted to these crimes, we're gonna have to charge you with these crimes. Uh, so, I knew that I was a goner. I was dead. You know, I was done. So here was Hector crammed in a small room with two FBI agents in the very early hours of June 8th, 2011. He thought his life was over. But then, the agent suggested a deal. They wanted him to keep doing what he was doing, as if nothing had changed. But this time, with the FBI quietly watching his every move. That would grant the government an unprecedented real-time peek into the hacker group and anonymous offshoot LulzSec. The agents were after not just Hector, but his fellow hackers, too. There was that anger, there was that, you know, screw the government inside of me. And I felt like I was betraying myself, betraying the cause. But he didn't have long to make the decision. Like if the girls weren't there, I'd be like, listen, you know, go screw yourselves. I'm gonna get a lawyer, my attorney, I'm gonna try this out. Hacking is a two year minimum anyway. Um, But it's hard to do that when you have kids around. You know, do I let them pay for my mistakes? Well, just do I deal with it myself? In the morning, the FBI took Hector to court for his initial appearance. It was a rare, closed proceeding to keep Hector's arrest a secret. He was released on bail. In the afternoon, he picked up his young cousins at school. They all cried, including him. You know, kids are much smarter than you think. Uh, The big one, not to mention the name. She She was basically like, you know, I was scared that you left us. You didn't come back home. Oh, I broke my heart. I said, nah, I got you. I'm not leaving you behind. You crazy? So, over the course of less than 24 hours in June 2011, Hector was arrested, agreed to cooperate with the government, and got out on bail. He was allowed to go back to a sixth-floor apartment, and he was able to keep the girls. Right away, the FBI agents put him to work. When they arrested him, they'd seized Hector's laptop, which was so battered it was missing a couple keys. The agents gave him a new computer that was installed with software so they could monitor everything he did on it. They also set up a surveillance camera in his home so he wouldn't run. So what'd you do for the FBI? Just sat there and be Sabu. Got online, I cursed him out all day. Because I was angry at the FBI for what they were doing too. I mean, I felt like it was extortion. The agents would tell him, you got to play your position, right? Uh, the longer you can play this out, the simpler it is. This case is over. You have your kids back. We're going to be out of your lives. You're not going to bother you no more. 
So Hector was off to a reluctant start, but prosecutors would later praise him for those nine months he spent secretly cooperating with the FBI. They would go on to call his work extraordinary. Some days, Hector would sit in a computer room with agents, explaining the way he researched ways to break into his targets. Other days, he'd walk prosecutors through the play-by-play of his previous hacks. And then, in the afternoon, he'd go pick up his cousins at school. In the evening, he'd often log on to chat and coordinate with the other hackers, who, of course, didn't know that he was cooperating with the FBI. Today, Hector's quick to say that he himself never directly named anyone and that he never testified against his co-conspirators in court. But the government said that his efforts contributed directly in the identification, prosecution, and conviction of eight separate hackers, including a guy called Jeremy Hammond, who at one point was the FBI's most wanted cybercriminal. Hector also passed on information about attacks that other hackers were planning. The FBI estimated that it was able to disrupt or prevent at least 300 hacks as a result, including those against the U.S. Armed Forces, NASA, a television network, and an electronics conglomerate. All of that required grueling work that sometimes kept him up all night, and it took a toll. Hector's aunt was released from prison midway into Hector's work with the FBI, and she remembers just how overwhelmed he was. The kid would break out with these massive headaches. To the point where he would cry and lay in my lap and I would like have to massage his temple or massage his forehead, put cold rags on his head and give him Tylenol and tell him, yo, it's going to be all right. You're going to get through this. But there were lighter moments, too. All the hard work forged an unexpected bond between Hector and Chris Tarbell, the FBI agent who arrested him. He would see me a lot. He would come to see me. He would drive to see me, check me out, make sure I was all right. Chris declined to sit for a taped interview because he didn't want to discuss the details of the FBI's investigation. But he was willing to talk about his own views of Hector. Chris told me that before the arrest, he knew Hector only by the demeanor he exhibited in his online persona, Sabu. The cold-hearted, calculated rogue who made it clear to everyone online that they should not mess with him. Over time, Chris came to see Hector in a different light, as someone who cares deeply about his family, especially his two young cousins. As someone who had to make tough moral decisions to do right by them. Here's Hector again. And we would eat like fat bastards. Like we would just eat, we love to eat. He would bring me like a Chipotle wrap and he would eat something else and we'd just sit there and talk and laugh and joke. And, um, he was a very real guy. Of course, Hector knew they wouldn't be eating meals together like this for long. He was bracing himself for what would come next. There's a major takedown in the war against computer crime. Authorities in the United States and Europe just rounded up some alleged hackers suspected... Today, federal prosecutors said six key members have been arrested. An offshoot of the hacktivist group Anonymous have been arrested in the U.S., Britain, and Ireland, charged with hacking and other crimes. On March 6, 2012, with great fanfare, U.S. prosecutors announced charges against six hackers, including Hector. As part of that, Hector's identity as Sabu was released to the public for the first time. Prosecutors outlined the 12 charges that Hector pleaded guilty to. 
which carried a maximum penalty of more than 120 years in prison. The government also revealed the details of Hector's secret cooperation with FBI. It was a huge victory for the Bureau, which at the time still didn't have a lot of experience solving cybercrimes. Fox News had the story first. Its article described Hector as a lazy underachiever, complacent in his lifestyle, and a welfare recipient. Which, by the way, Hector says he wasn't. And the New York Times called him a party boy of the projects. The story cited unidentified neighbors who complained about the noise at night and the smell of marijuana wafting from his apartment. And then there were the chat forums online. They lit up with all kinds of diatribes about his betrayal of Anonymous. In his own police-fearing neighborhood, Hector and his family faced threats for cooperating with law enforcement. March 5th, everyone loved Sabu. I was the best guy in the universe. March 6th, I was Benedict Arnold. I was a traitor. I was Sammy the Bull Gravano. I was, I was the worst person to have exist. Reporters swarmed his apartment, and Hector and his family faced so much harassment that the FBI decided to relocate him. The girls were returned to their mother, Hector's aunt, who was newly released from prison. A little over two months after his arrest was publicized, Hector's bail was revoked for posting unauthorized material online. He had been keeping a blog in which he posted short stories, which included references to the FBI. He was sent to the Metropolitan Correctional Center in Manhattan. That's the federal jail that once held the gangster John Gotti. Last year, it took in the Mexican drug lord El Chapo. Some publications, including the L.A. Times, have called it the Guantanamo of New York. It was weird for all of us because, you know, not only you had, you had me, right? You had uh, these big-time dudes that were there, murderers, and just kidnappers and terrorists in there. It was the craziest place. But Hector says he gained a lot from that time he spent in jail. It gave me time to think. And um, spending time with my bunkie really helped me because, again... Talking to somebody with a different perspective helps a lot, trust me. I've come to realize that the most important thing in my life right now, at least at that moment, was the kids. In December, after seven months in custody, Hector was re-released on bail. His aunt, his father, his cousin, and his friend came to pick him up. Hector scarfed down a hot dog, downed a soda, and smoked a cigarette. But as he re-acclimated to life outside of jail, he was stuck in a new kind of purgatory. I came out, had nothing, 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 nothing. No money, no help, no job. Couldn't get on the internet, couldn't talk to my friends. Um, My family screwed up. They're, they're, They're just not working. Hector went on to stay with an uncle, and all the while, he wasn't allowed to touch a computer. His sentencing hearing got delayed seven times. It was the sickest, craziest year of my life, 2012, 2013. The embarrassment, the regret, the shame. He went through a big depression phase where I asked him to do therapy, to get counseling, to try to get help. But he chose not to. I was his therapist and his counselor. On May 27th, 2014, Hector, 30 years old, finally stood before a U.S. district judge for his sentencing. 
it was almost three years since the day he was arrested and more than a year and a half since his arrest became public. I read the transcript of the hearing, and it's really everything you wouldn't expect from a criminal court proceeding. It was cordial, non-confrontational, overflowing with praise for Hector from all sides. The room was packed with journalists. Hector's lawyer started off by requesting a sentence of time already served for those seven months he spent in jail when his bail had been revoked. Which is a dramatically reduced sentence for the 12 charges he pleaded guilty to. It's even less than the mandatory minimum. And then the government called Hector's cooperation, quote, extraordinary, and recommended the same reduced sentence for Hector of time served. The judge immediately accepted the motion. In her parting words, she told Hector he'd done as much as any human being could do to make up for his past wrongs. She told him that she looks forward to him deploying his skills for good. I sat in the courtroom and I began to cry when the judge saluted him. I salute you. Hector walked out of the courtroom that day a free man, but he would soon face one rejection after another as he tried to rebuild his life. Welcome back. A little over a year since Hector's sentencing, in the summer of 2015, tech sites were abuzz about a young security researcher named Benjamin Caudill. He ran a small cybersecurity firm in Seattle. Benjamin had created a device that would help people get online while masking their physical locations. But then he had to abruptly cancel the project as soon as it got publicity, with very little explanation. Curious onlookers had all kinds of theories about the project's sudden death. Well, apparently somebody didn't want pound whistleblower pound anonymity to happen. And no one knows why. It's probably the SEC got uh, mad. To me. I kind of wondered about that, if maybe it wasn't some sort of uh, gimmick, so to speak. Don't know. Nobody knows. That's when Benjamin got a direct message on Twitter from Hector. Like, dude, listen, I don't know you from a hole in the wall, but I've been through this nonsense. Um, keep your head up, ignore the BS, and consider it good. It's free publicity for the company. Just keep your head up, bro. And if you need me, just hit me up. Ironically, back when Hector was attacking all these corporations on behalf of Anonymous, Benjamin was on the other side, helping protect companies from hackers like Hector. Benjamin used to work for the aircraft manufacturer Boeing and remembers discussing with his team how they would respond if Anonymous were ever to come after the company. And now, here was one of its hackers saying hi. Here's Benjamin. Uh, it was, was very, I'll say it was very skeptical, very, um, well, I'll say sus- suspicious even. But Benjamin was also curious and responded. After some back and forth, they hopped on a call. They ended up talking for hours, discussing all kinds of nerdy cybersecurity things. I wouldn't have believed it myself had I not experienced it. But he's, he's actually a very... A uh, very gentle, very nice, kind person. And a, and a lot of these things kind of took me by surprise. At the time, Hector was struggling to find a job. He made some money through bug bounty programs. These are rewards that companies offer to people who find security flaws in their systems. But it wasn't enough to pay the bills, and it wasn't enough to build a career. The rejections piled up, and he was devastated. One day, Hector mentioned this to Benjamin. Benjamin said, okay, let me reach out to the guys I know. 
Benjamin would say, Hey Joe, I got this guy that has a lot of exploit dev experience, has you know, been doing this for you know, 15, 20 years, has all this technical and, and security experience in, in offensive operations, and is looking for a role. And consistently people would be, you know, jumping over the table excited for this. And then Benjamin would say, great, his name is Hector Monsiger. It was incredible how how fast they were to, to not only retract their statement, you know, we're, we're not interested and just shut down the conversation, but had, I mean, almost like blackballed me almost by extension. This went on for two to three months. Benjamin said he reached out to 20 to 30 contacts, but not a single one even agreed to have an initial conversation with Hector. You have admitted yourself, this is a skill set, a person, a, a capability you desperately need, and you are not even willing to have a discussion about it. You're, you're not even willing to get more information. I think we've all heard stories about how hard it is for convicted felons to get a job. But I was still surprised to hear of the swift and unanimous rejection that Hector got. Yeah, this is a very skilled person in a, in a really hot industry that desperately needs more talent. Although I do understand why companies wouldn't want to take the risk of hiring somebody with Hector's reputation. It made me wonder if the ban was more specific to Hector, who'd gained a ton of notoriety as a high-profile anonymous hacker, or if the reluctance to hire convicted hackers was more widespread. I called up Tom Holt, who's a professor at Michigan State University. His research focuses on computer crimes. Well, the risk would be that you're a known criminal quantity, so are you going to do it again? This is a really important question, and there's actually no data to predict that risk right now. According to the U.S. Sentencing Commission, federal offenders of drug trafficking have a particularly high rate of recidivism. It's 42 percent. Those who commit fraud, 14 percent. Larceny is 3.9 percent. But the research on cybercriminals is so early that according to Tom, there aren't even definitive numbers on how many of them exist. I asked Tom to name the people he knew who've made the transition from criminal to legit. Oh, man. Uh, It can't be that many. Um, I guess you have Mitnick, you have um, Adrian, uh, is it, I always forget, is it Lamo or Lamo? So there's a couple, but yeah, not, not that many. Watching Hector get rejection after rejection, Benjamin had a thought. Maybe this could be an option. Maybe we we are the ones to hire Hector. When Benjamin says we, he's referring to his firm Rhino Security Labs, which deploys its legitimate researchers to test the security of its clients' networks. The idea is to have Rhino's good guys try to break in and identify the flaws before the bad guys do. The company's business was growing and there was room to expand the team. At an industry dinner party one night, Benjamin floated the idea of hiring Hector. Nobody thought it was a good idea, but Benjamin got his chance to try it anyway in the fall of 2015. A repeat client had come to Rhino with a particularly difficult job. So with the permission of that client, Benjamin asked Hector to join the project as a contractor. Very first engagement was, was, just, was just incredible. When I first got that paycheck, you know, man, that made me complete. I was happy. I, I thanked him so much. It's like, dude, you are a gentleman and a scholar. You know, uh, thank you for keeping your word. 
Today, Hector is the Director of Assessment Services at Benjamin's firm Rhino Security Labs. He manages a team of five people. Our goal is to infiltrate the clients by any means necessary and getting as far as we can, as deep as we can. If that sounds pretty similar to what he did as a criminal hacker, that's because the work actually is really similar. Except for the fact that this time, companies are asking him to do it. And instead of wreaking havoc with what they find, Hector and his team write up a tidy report that they submit to the client. In this twist that completely surprised me, Hector today is friends with Chris Tarbell, that FBI agent who arrested him. Chris today works for a consulting firm as a cybersecurity expert, which makes him and Hector industry peers. Hector says he looks up to Chris as a mentor, as someone he goes to for advice. Chris says he sees their relationship more like a work relationship that's deepened over time. Chris was kind of like a supervisor while Hector was cooperating with the FBI. Chris has met Hector's cousins, his aunt, and his father, and also mentioned that they have plans for Hector to soon meet Chris's own family. Meanwhile, Hector's still the only one with a criminal record at Rhino. Benjamin said there have been three or so candidates who were inspired by Hector's transition and approached Rhino about potentially working there. But Benjamin said he sensed they weren't completely committed to letting go of their former life. I ended up spending more than eight hours with Hector over the course of two separate days. And this was the point that he seemed to really want to make, that he's changed. Over and over again, he told me that he sees his hacks differently now. So people that their information was leaked uh, through my various hacks, I feel bad for them because why is their identities being used now? That means it's my mistake for leaking their info. Why did I do it? Why was I not thinking? A lot of these things that you want to go back in time and fix, and it's too late. And I feel horrible about it. I wish there was more I could do, you know? He even regrets the hacks he did to cheer on the protesters of the Arab Spring. At the time, it seemed like everything that we were doing was completely right and completely justified, and we were on the right path. We were righteous. Yeah, we got a cause. But then you fast forward in time and you see what happened to Gaddafi. Libya is still in a state of chaos and insecurity. The Arab Spring promised so much, but the region seems to be unraveling from Libya to Syria. Six years on, human rights organizations argue Egyptians have lost basic liberties. Unhappy with the brief rule of the Muslim Brotherhood. Did we help those people? I can't be proud of it because I think I may have made the situation worse. If you were to do your life over again, what would you do differently? <laughs> That's such a difficult question. Yeah. I have no idea. I'll be back in the projects. If I don't mess with computers, where would I be in the streets? And I, I, honestly, I would avoid Anonymous if I could. Anonymous was a sham, yeah. and it was a big joke, and I didn't see it till it was too late. Yeah. It's, it's a really cheesy cult. And it's very easy to fall into a cult like that. Because they give you attention and they retweet you and they re-Facebook you and they re-status you. And they'll admonish you and show you all the love and social media respect that you want until they don't like you no more. And then you have 10,000 death threats in your inbox. And then they're sending you pieces to your house or they're threatening to kill your family. Do you ever feel the temptation to go back to hacking? I can't afford it. <laughs> I can't afford it. Because if I lose everything I built, then what's, what's the point? Do you miss it? No. Not at all. I'm actually very bored of it. I'm bored of hacking. I look at I look at security research as a job. And I try to make it as monotone as possible. 
I want to maximize results for my clients and uh, be able to finish up my, my shift and enjoy something else like Netflix. Stranger Things 2 was great, by the way. Uh, Castle Radio was another good show. Hector is 34 now, and it's been two decades since he first got online. There's something familiar about the way his relationships with computers has changed. He's exhausted from being on the computer. Like, he's not in love with it anymore. He don't have that same love like when I first gave him his first computer. Being a cybersecurity researcher, he worries a lot about his cousins going online. It's not that he doesn't trust them. They're 12 and 14, and he says they're really smart. But he doesn't trust the rest of the world out there. I hate to sound like an old fart, an old man or whatever, but if I had the chance, I would probably block the internet from the house. You know? I'm kind of over it. The only the reason would get very mad at you. They would hate yeah, me, yeah. for sure. <laughs> Still, when he needs to work when they're together, he tries to show them what he's doing. He says cybersecurity is still a great career. The younger one, who's right around the age that Hector was when he first fell in love with computers, recently told him that she wants to learn how to code. So he's working on finding her a coding program. And that's it for this week's Decrypted. Thanks for listening. We are so excited to be back with a new season of episodes. We'll be publishing one each week, mostly on Tuesdays, including one next week. In the meantime, let us know what you thought of today's two-part story. You can send us an email or a voice memo to decrypted at Bloomberg.net. Or you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Akiito7. And I'm at Brad Stone. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. And while you're there, please take a moment to rate and review our show. This episode was produced by Pia Gedkari, Liz Smith, Magnus Henriksen, and Christy Westgard. My article on Bloomberg.com that accompanied these two episodes were edited by Robin Angelo. The photos of Hector were shot by Yael Malka, and the illustration was created by Kevin Hong. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcast. We'll see you next week.